Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello, and welcome to Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. Trail Mix is the short-form episode of our podcast. In our long-form episodes, we offer one hiking trail or more sometimes in one national park, one park at a time. That's right. While on our Trail Mix episodes, we get to dive a little deeper into things we didn't get to cover in our long-form episodes, national park updates national monuments and other national park service sites and all of the other surprises that come along with trying to see all of America's national parks. This episode of Trail Mix is all about national park updates and news from the national parks as of December 2019 and January 2020. Right. There's always a lot of moving and shaking happening in the national parks, but these were some stories that we thought were important to highlight. Some are human interest stories, new policies that are being enacted in the park, major projects that some parks are undertaking that may be impactful for people doing some traveling in the parks this coming year. So Dusty, tell us about something that's going on in the parks right now or or has happened recently. This is from a New York Times opinion article. Mm -hmm. The writer, his name is Francisco Cantu, and he is a former Border Patrol agent. Okay. And he's also an author. The title of this article is called The Border Wall is Rising Up Across Our National Parks. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of this article, he talks about growing up in West Texas and being outside and having a life that involved nature, especially with Guadalupe Mountains National Park. Even though this is an opinion article, there is a lot of evidence that is cited. One of the things that is mentioned is that while the border wall has not been fully constructed, there are parts that have been fully constructed, Mm -hmm. and there are parts that are being constructed right now. Currently, most of the time, when it comes to like border walls, there is one that is in place in a lot of places. It is a four-foot-high vehicle barrier. Okay, But right now, there are in many places where that four-foot wall is, they are replacing it with a 30-foot wall, concrete stone. The wildlife in the areas where this is happening, Mm -hmm. they can move through and about in their wildlife areas despite that four-foot fence. 
but when it is a 30 foot wall they are closed off they are closed off from one side of the or to the other i think too from reading some articles about this there was a lot of issue from conservationists because of saguaro cactus being basically uprooted destroyed because of the path of the border wall the other thing that this border wall this construction of this border wall poses is flooding hazards draining of desert groundwater and also permanently reshaping entire ecosystems there are in particular about 93 protected species in these areas Mm -hmm. meanwhile a lot of this construction is going right across national monument territory okay just a couple of them that are being affected is the Sonoita mud turtle, the Quito Bakito pupfish, and the Sonoran pronghorn, and along with like 90 other species yeah. that face imminent threat because of this wall's expansion. In this article, uh, the writer talks about going to this uh, demonstration where this activist was reading a list of more than 40 federal and state laws that have been waived in order to begin construction of the wall. Mm -hmm. Regardless of how one feels about the wall or its construction, the reality is that, yes, it is posing a threat to ecosystems and its desert ecosystems that, as we have talked about on this show many times, take a long time to develop and are deeply necessary for the ecosystems in the desert. Mike, tell us about something that you have found. I'm going to talk a little bit about Cuyahoga National Park, um, which we talked about last season on our podcast. It's located in Ohio, 20 miles south of Cleveland. The park is actually doing something very interesting. They're basing this experiment off of what national parks do elsewhere, specifically Europe and the United Kingdom. But what they're starting to do is leasing land to farmers. They've leased about 10 farms on 50 square miles of the park property to farmers to basically farm the land, develop the crop, and then sell that crop. Part of the reason they're doing it is to not only offer this opportunity to farmers, but to use the farmers as stewards of the lands. And this is an NBC News article. It allows the farmers to tend to the land in ways that the National Park Service might not be able to. National Park Service operates over 400 and I think now it's probably closer to 420 or 21 with the addition of some parks, which we'll talk about. Basically, they operate all these properties on a very thin budget, and it can be sometimes impossible with a park as vast as Cuyahoga to be able to properly maintain and to care for that land. So the idea is having farmers come in and actually care for specific tracts of land allows them to not only give back to the park, but also to give to the community. Um, Something that I also found that was really interesting is that the parks themselves, um, or specifically Cuyahoga, are dealing with climate change as an issue, lack of funding. They have aging facilities that they need to deal with. So by actually utilizing people that are not park service workers, but are there to act as caretakers for the land, they're able to maintain that national park a little bit better, which I think is such a fascinating and great idea. And this is a little bit of an experiment that's happening now, but hopefully it can branch out to other parks and other NPS managed sites. The article also went into a lot of the fact that we are an aging society of farmers. There's not a lot of young farmers in the world. And a lot of people really don't understand the process of how 
food gets from the farm to their table, basically. There were parts of the article that were hopeful that this would be a program that maybe enticed more people towards farming, especially a younger generation, too. Is this opportunity for like commercialization for these farmers? The process is actually very competitive to win a tract of land at Cuyahoga. The applicants have to demonstrate that they have access to capital. They have to outline their concern for public welfare and their business plan in detail, um, their sustainability farming practices, among other requirements. Farmers are able to then sell their produce at year-round farmers markets, and that provides a lot of fresh produce options for locals. They say as many as 450,000 people live in food deserts in Cuyahoga County. Um, So this actually is a great way to provide for the community. And there's a quote in the article um, that says that there's no guarantee that any farm anywhere will succeed or prosper. But at least this program offers the farmers support. And it also offers the National Park a little bit of support too. So I had mentioned too in what I just talked about, about the fact that we've got some additional national park sites. So Dusty, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of these new national park sites that have happened in the last year, some very recently. Great. So um, it's true. We have two national parks added to our list as of 2019. Mm -hmm. And they're both sandy. And they're both sandy. That's right. Um, Sandy! (laughs) As this was happening, and I mean, we have known about this for a while. Like, It's kind of funny and tricky and sneaky the way legislation gets passed to Mm -hmm. make things national parks. So we'll be doing an entire trail mix just about like bills and legislation and national parks and how they get actually designated that way, especially as of late. Right. But you get a little bit of that here in this section of today's episode about the two newest national parks, which are New Mexico's White Sands National Park Mm -hmm. and then Indiana Sand Dunes National Park, Mm -hmm. the White Sands National Monument. It got upgraded to a national park A little bit of a glow up. It did. Mm -hmm. It did. It had a little bit of a glow up. This happened because it was like a tiny little part in the National Defense Authorization Act for the fiscal year of 2020. Oh, that's sexy. Right? Right. So in order to approve <laughs> that, you also had to make White right. Sand Dunes a yeah. national park, which is sneaky and yeah, fun. Say that five mm-hmm. times fast. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And then Indiana Sand Dunes National Park became a national park back in February of last year. Mm-hmm. The White Sand Dunes National Park, former National Monument, is stretches 275 square miles in southern New Mexico. Um, it is a favorite spot among road trippers and photographers. And it is officially the 62nd National Park. Brava. Brava. 62nd, which means... Mines. Mines. <laughs> which means that Indiana Sand Dunes National Park was number 61. Mm-hmm. There was, again, in February of 2019, a budgeting bill. And so when Trump approved that budget, he also had to approve Indiana Sand Dunes becoming a national park. Right. And that was a big deal because Indiana did not have a national park. So, nope. so that, like, you know gave a lot of pause, I feel like, for the people of Indiana because they were excited to have that national, I believe it was a national monument before as well, upgraded to a national park. 
Now, one of the reasons they really wanted to preserve White Sands as a national park is because it is the world's largest gypsum dune field. Gypsum is a common rock material that reflects light, gives the dunes, and gives the dunes a dazzling look. Um, And it formed close to 10,000 years ago, according to the NPS. And all of this information um, about white sand dunes and Indiana sand dunes is coming to you from condinasstraveler.com. Now, here is another important thing to know. White Sand Dunes National Park of New Mexico was designated a national monument in 1933. Oh, wow. However, just because it has become a national park does not mean it will receive any new funding. Oh. Yeah. So... Ain't that a peach. No new funding or special treatment. Right. Um, But, um, you know, being considered a national park does mean, you know... It looks a little flashier for you. Yeah. So there we go. That's right. Get that glitz and glamour. All right. The name on everybody's lips is going to be Sand <laughs> What else do we have, Mike? We're going to talk a little bit about overcrowding in the parks. National Parks visitorship has been skyrocketing. In some ways, it's really great because it exposes people to these really incredible natural landscapes and hopefully teaches people to care a little bit more about conservation and to care about the environment that they live in, even if it's not near a national park. However, with more national park visitorship means more overcrowding. Really, the articles that we've taken a look at from um, modern conservationists and also from the National Parks Traveler are telling us that 2020 is going to be an even busier year. And I'm also going to tag a little bit onto this from another article that I read about roadwork in Yellowstone, because that all kind of fits in together. The fact that National Park visitorship has been up is something of concern. The, you know, the whole goal of the National Park System is to preserve the National Parks for the enjoyment today and generations to come. So really, it's the idea of preserving these natural landscapes. Um, so the fact that visitorship has skyrocketed has caused some issues. Um, aside from traffic within the parks, there's also environmental issues that come from the increased smog that's happening from this traffic and the amount of cars that are coming through. There's issues like people creating social trails in the park, where they're basically going off trail as opposed to using some of the natural trails that the park system has set up for them, which can cause a whole host of issues, including just disrupting the ecosystem of many different plants and animals. There's also other issues that are dealing with people parking in illegal areas because parking lots are full, which is a problem. And because of the increased traffic in the parks, there's actually been a lot more accidents within the parks with vehicles and wildlife. It's great that there are more visitors to the parks, but it's also a pretty big environmental impact. It's also a problem because even though there's more visitors, there's not necessarily more funding for the parks, which goes back to that big old problem of the fact that the parks need funding um, and that there is a serious maintenance backlog that is the case for most of the parks that are out there. So speaking of that maintenance backlog, let's talk a little bit about Yellowstone National Parks and the road projects that they have coming up that are basically starting this year. 
So Yellowstone is going to be spending more than $75 million on three road projects to improve safety and access to the park. One of those projects is going to close the road between Tower Fall and Chittenden Road until April of 2022. So it's going to be a two-year long project. According to the press release, crews will widen the road, provide additional pullouts, and create a larger, safer parking area at the Tower Fall General Store. The two other projects that are going to cause delays but not full closures in the park are the North Entrance Road, Um, And that's going to get an additional lane and kiosk to improve the traffic flow and reduce lines. And construction is expected to take two years on that. And on the east entrance road between the Fishing Bridge and Indian Pond, crews are going to replace the Pelican Creek Bridge with a viaduct to allow the wetland and creek to flow freely again. They're also going to finish a project from 2018 to improve the fishing bridges, deck, and piers, improve the parking lot, widen the road, and add turn lanes. And that project is expected to wrap up um, in the fall of 2020. Most of the Yellowstone projects... $600 million maintenance backlog, so that is quite a hefty sum, um, relate to roads. And funding for the new project comes from the Federal Highway Administration, Yellowstone Forever, and the National Park Foundation and fees collected at Yellowstone. Yellowstone has received a major surge in visitorship, and so this is going to be a potential issue if you're headed to Yellowstone. You're going to need to just plan ahead and plan for the fact that we already know the park is going to be crowded, and now at these three separate road projects, it's going to make it a little harder to navigate and maybe a little bit more difficult time-wise for you in the park, Um, which, hey, the art of waiting is a lost art. So just remember that sometimes we have to wait for things. Really quickly to wrap up this, um, and this article comes from the Montana Public Radio. Zion, as we know and we love, um, is a park that really operates based off of trams. They don't allow cars really at any point in the park unless you're traveling to the lodge um, and there's a parking lot there at the lodge if you're staying there. But for the most part, if you're hiking or doing day hikes within the park itself, you have to get on the tram system. In January, they announced that the trams would not run for the whole month of January, which caused a lot of people a lot of ire. If you've ever been to Zion, there is not a lot of parking at the visitor center area. It's It fills up very fast on the holidays and the weekends. We, when we first went, because we had arrived like in the afternoon on like a Saturday, we had a park in Springdale and we had a walk-in, which honestly was Wasn't not a bad that walk. Hard. Wasn't that and hard. there's actually a tram in Springdale. I don't know if that's running right now. That takes you basically to the trams at the entrance. So speaking of overcrowding, Zion National Park on their Instagram, they made this post recently, which says there will be no shuttles during January 2020. We expect that shuttles will return for President's Day weekend and weekends after that until they start everyday service in March. When we're not using shuttles, we expect the canyon parking to fill up every day, especially early on weekends and holidays. If the parking is full, access may be difficult or impossible. If you're planning a trip to Zion Canyon while the shuttle isn't operating, remember a few things. You must park legally and responsibly, which usually means you have to be in a parking spot. In certain cases, you can find additional parking nearby and walk back to your trailhead. You should never take your vehicle off of a hardened surface, so the road shoulders is off limits. Parking illegally, especially in a way that blocks emergency vehicles, is a great way to get towed. 
This post captions a photo of the grotto parking area, and um, when parking here is full, it will be more difficult to access Angel's Landing, Cayenta, and Upper Emerald Pools trails. We recommend parking at the Zion Lodge and hiking the Grotto Trail to this area. There's plenty of parking at the lodge, and it adds only one mile round trip to your hike. Hashtag plan ahead. Hashtag parking responsibly. (laughs) Now, here are the five days in 2020 where you can access the national parks for free. Oh, great. So the first day is January 20th, which is the... Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Exactly. Followed by... April 18th, which is the first day of National Park Week. Great. Which also includes Earth Day, I believe. August 25th, which is the National Park Service birthday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. September 26th, which is National Public Lands Day. Mm-hmm. And November 11th. Which is Veterans Day. Exactly. Beautiful. So get out there and do some hiking, but get do out. it responsibly. Yes, and park responsibly. Hashtag park responsibly. Let's end this trail mix with the game. Mike, what do you have planned for us today? So our game today is called New Year, New Me. Within one year, much of your body regenerates or changes over. Can you guess how long it takes each of these areas to rebuild themselves better, faster, and stronger? Are you ready for this game? I'm ready. Okay. Your brain cells. Is it A, six months? B, one year, or is it it C, five years? Six months is my answer. It's actually a year, so clearly you need a little bit more time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, apparently that, basically it was believed for a long time that brain cells did not regenerate after you reached maturity, but it's been well documented in three areas of the cerebral cortex that that does happen. I'm sure that's why... You know, as proven by people who, you know, get stuck in their ways. (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) right. Who think this is the way it goes always all the time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so look at that. Regeneration. Regeneration. All right, so how about your blood? Is it two weeks, two months, or four months? I'm going to say two months. It's four months, actually. okay. All right. Red blood cells live for about four months, but white blood cells live for about a year. Um, Eventually, what happens is those blood cells get beaten down, and they eventually are stripped of their iron to create new blood cells, healthier blood cells. So, that's right. From the old, old, I will rebuild. From the rubble, (laughs) I will rebuild. (laughs) Clearly. Um, Okay, how about your bones? Is it three months, six months, or nine months? I'm going to say nine months. It's actually three months. Um, Bone cells are built in a little over than three months. However, this is pretty interesting. The entire human skeleton is thought to be replaced every 10 years, which is... I did know that. Pretty kooky. Like, that's a little interesting. Your bones are always changing, um, which is basically, like, if you break a bone, how you're able to, you know, that bone is able to be healed because those bone cells are just regenerating all the time. Okay, your liver, um, for all the heavy drinkers out there in the world, is it three weeks, six weeks, or is it two months? I'm going to say two months. It's six weeks. Okay. So a month and a half. It regenerates itself very well. It's one organ in the body that does that a lot. Um, It's not to say that it cannot maintain permanent damage. Hello, cirrhosis. Within six weeks, basically, your entire liver rebuilds itself, which... 
um, is really incredible considering how many toxins go through your liver because that's basically the filter for your body. Yeah. Yeah. And our last question, your skin, the biggest organ of your body. One week, one month, or one year? A year. It's a month, actually. Oh, okay. Um, which makes sense considering how much wear and tear your skin goes through on a daily basis, and it has to cover you for your entire lifetime. So two to four weeks sounds about on par. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so, too. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images that correspond with these episodes, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com. And to find out more about parks spoken about on this podcast, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. Thank you.